We've been in Romans 8, a glorious chapter, uh, maybe the most um, encouraging chapter of the book of Romans. We mentioned that the Holy Spirit is mentioned 30 times in the book of Romans, 20 of which are in this chapter alone. And what we learn about today is adoption, adoption, spiritual adoption. Um, You know, sometimes we think of all people as God's children. Well, there is, in one sense, that's true. All people are from Adam. God is the creator of all. The fatherhood of God extends to all of creation in one sense. But more typically in the Bible, in the Old Testament, Israel, God's people, is referred to as God's son. Out of Egypt I have called my son through the Exodus. And by doing so, they're referring to the people of Israel as a whole. Not individually, but as a whole. In the New Testament, of course, we come to Jesus Christ, who is the eternal Son of God. In fact, Jesus very regularly prayed to God using the term Abba. By the way, here's an interesting fact. He was the first to do so. Uh, The great sort of lexicographer Kittle says this, Jewish usage shows how this father-child relationship to God far surpasses any possibilities of intimacy assumed in Judaism, introducing indeed something which is wholly new. Uh, in fact, there's a great New Testament scholar, a German scholar by the name of Joachim Jeremias. I think I'm pronouncing that right. He's a German uh, theologian. He did a deep study of Jewish prayer literature, ancient Jewish prayer literature, and found that not once is God referred to as Abba until we come to the first century Jewish carpenter, Jesus Christ. He writes this, Abba was an everyday word, a homely family word. No Jew would have dared to address God in this manner. Jesus did it always. In all his prayers, which are handed down to us, with one single exception, the cry from the cross, which he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And not only does Jesus refer to God as Abba, sort of a very intimate term, he tells us to do so as well. This then is how you should pray. You should relate to God as your Abba. Uh, Interestingly enough, I have uh, an Israeli brother-in-law, and uh, Israeli by ethnicity and by faith, and I asked him, I said, uh, Yaniv, do, do you ever refer to God in Judaism as Abba? And he looked at me with this weird look and said, no. No, we would never, Abba is who I am to my kids. That's who my dad is to me. We don't refer to God as Abba. And yet Jesus constantly refers to God in that way and tells us to do so as well. Why? Because we are adopted by God. I mean, always feel that way. We don't always feel like sons and daughters. We suffer. We're surrounded by a groaning creation and we die. And yet all throughout, there's no question about it. We are called sons and daughters of God. Look at me with me at Romans 8, 12 to 25. Romans 8, 12 to 25. We are adopted and we are heirs. We read this. <clears throat> so then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. 
For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we, are, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord, and may the Lord add his blessing to the reading and study and application proclamation of his word this morning. Uh, Here's where we're going, 12 to 17. The Holy Spirit reveals adoption to us. He ministers, he witnesses to, to us of our adoption in Christ. 18 to 22, the creation groans even as we suffer now. And then finally, 23 to 25, we groan inwardly, even as we have hope. We're waiting patiently for what is to come. Look at 12 to 17. He continues talking about the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God reveals our adoption to us. He says we are debtors, uh, but not to the flesh. Uh, We don't owe our sinful nature anything. We didn't get anything good from it. We owe nothing to it. In fact, he says those who continue to live in the flesh, it ultimately leads to death. That's the wages of sin. Now, our debt is, of course, to God. Uh, If we are bought by God, saved by his grace, we're called now to live by the Holy Spirit, to put to death the deeds of the body, the old terminology of mortify sin. Learn to put sin to death and walk in newness of life, and that leads to life. That we are all led by the Holy Spirit as Christians, and that also ministers to us of our adoption that we are indeed sons of God. He says we have not been given a spirit of slavery, and we talked about in chapter 6, a slavery to sin and a slavery to the law, as if we are going to continue to live in fear, fear of condemnation and judgment. No, we receive the spirit of adoption. The spirit of God dwells within us as if we are a temple. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He tells us. He whispers to us. He speaks to us that you are indeed children of God. By him we cry, Abba, Pater, in the Greek. And some theologians have said intentionally he brings together the Aramaic or Hebrew term for God and the Greek world to say Jew and Gentile together united, recognizing God as Father. 
The Spirit bears witness with our spirit. So the Spirit of the Holy Spirit is the very presence of God. We have a spirit as well. But the Holy Spirit bears witness to our spirit that we are indeed children of God. And if we are children, then we are ears. And he adds, provided we suffer now and persevere in our faith and eventually we'll be glorified with him. He's talking here, of course, about spiritual adoption. Adoption, according to Roman law and society, meant that all, the adopted child would receive all of the rights and privileges of biological children. It was illegal to treat an adopted child differently than your own children. In fact, I think we would all say it's immoral to do so. To adopt a child and treat him or her as less than your children, uh, to not love them, would be, in a sense, wrong, unethical, immoral. And, of course, God does nothing wrong. Jesus pays our debt. He gives us his righteousness. We receive it by faith. He reconciles us in our relationship to our creator. And more than that, he gifts us with adoption. He makes us his own brothers and sisters. So that when God sees us, he sees us as son or daughter. If I'm a child of God... And you are a child of God. What does that make us? That makes us siblings, right? (laughs) That makes us family. In fact, that's why the early Christians always referred to each other as brother or sister. And that wasn't just a sort of terminology that kind of sounds kind of cool, like, hey, bro, right? It meant we are literally, genuinely, spiritually united together as one family. Friends, and I sense that. I feel that here at our church at First Baptist. You guys are family. I want to go, go visit... Jim Hamill, or go see Dennis at rehab. This is my family. These aren't just friends. These aren't just people I know. This is my spiritual family. Why? Because we share together our spiritual adoption in Christ. This is the ministry of the Spirit, part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He's witnessing to us. He's reminding you, friends, that you are indeed a son or a daughter of God, which means you are loved by him. You're not just a creature that he decided to spare from wrath. He loves you as his own child. When you read the Bible, and friends, read the Bible. (laughs) When you read the Bible, you're listening to your father speak to you. It's not just studying a textbook to learn some ideas and facts. You're listening to his word to you. When you pray, and friends, pray, (laughs) you are not going through some ritual some sort of ceremony, you are speaking to your heavenly Father. When you worship, you are delighting in your Creator who loves you as your own, His own children. It's also, I think, an encouragement here to live like children. Uh, don't go back to living for the flesh. You're not who you used to be. You're not a slave to sin. Uh, you now represent your Father, your heavenly Father, right? You now should be pursuing righteousness as you represent God who is Abba. We are heirs. Uh, Children receive an inheritance. The cool thing about this inheritance is our father doesn't have to die for us to get it (laughs) because God will never die. We simply have to wait until the time is right and then the inheritance comes for us and we get God too, right? We don't get one or the other. We'll talk more about the inheritance later. Friends, even when it doesn't feel like it, even when your life is filled with some grief and worry and anxiety, or fear, or pain, or suffering. You are a son, you are a daughter. In fact, that's where he goes to next, and look at verses 18 through 22. 
18 to 22, the creation groans even as we suffer now. It's not just us that suffer. All of creation is is in a sense groaning. He says, I consider that the present suffering, whatever you're dealing with, all of the problems, the issues, the hardships that you're facing, the trials that you are dealing with right now, they're not worth comparing to the glory that is to come. If you put it on a scale, it would be easily tipped. Uh, The problems that we face now will seem like nothing, seem like chaff compared to the glory that we as his children will one day and soon and very soon enjoy. But in the meantime, he says, creation waits. Creation, and by the way, creation almost certainly refers here to nature, all of subhuman sort of existence around us. It waits and longs for the day that the sons of God are revealed. See, our ultimate glorification as God's people will affect everything around us. All of creation at the same time all of a sudden becomes restored. He says creation has been subjected to futility, not willingly, but by the one who subjected it. Who's the one who subjected creation? God. When mankind fell into sin in Genesis chapter 3, God said, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will work the ground, thorns and thistles it will produce, for dust you are, and unto dust you shall return. But it's awaiting a day in which it will be set free from its bondage and its corruption. It groans now. But when we are revealed to be God's children in fullness, so will creation follow. Now, how does creation groan? What do we mean by that? Obviously, it's a personification. I mean, there's a lot of living things in the world around us, but there's a lot of unliving things, non-living things as well. But it's waiting. It's as if it's in the pains of childbirth, awaiting something that is to come. Um, Again, it produces thorns and thistles, right? Uh, It makes it more difficult. The ground isn't so easy as it used to be. I think we could add to that tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes and all natural disasters. It's creation groaning, awaiting a time of redemption. Perhaps we could add to that destructive viruses and bacteria and amoebas, right? I remember learning before, I thought, you know, why, why did God create bacteria, Why did God create viruses or viri? I don't know what the right pronunciation is there. And actually, I remember learning about, reading about it, and finding out that the vast majority of bacteria is not only good, it's necessary. So if you could wish all bacteria gone, all human life would die immediately, okay? In fact, there are more bacterial cells in the human body than there are human cells in the human body. I don't know if you know that. Your body needs these sort of bacterial cells to survive. Same thing is true of viruses. The vast majority of viruses are not harmful, and some are absolutely necessary for human life, but some have gone awry. Some are destructive, indeed even fatal, because the world has fallen. It's in bondage to sin. In fact, actually, nature nature is a terrifying place. Right? We kind of separate ourselves from it but the truth of the matter is suffering is not just something that is human it is echoed throughout all of the created order animals suffer immense amount of pain perhaps even more so than humans i don't know if you guys know this what animal little test here what animal kills more humans than any other animal think of it in your mind we won't won't have you yell it out but if you think humans 
It's a good guess, but you're incorrect. All right? Um, you might have guessed snakes, right? Snakes are high up there, by the way. Snakes kill a lot of people. I think it's like 500,000 people a year or something crazy. Um, saltwater crocodiles. Is, I think the saltwater crocodile is the most terrifying animal on the planet right now. Um, they kill about 1,000 people a year, so not nearly as bad as the, the most dangerous animal on this planet, but it's still the most terrifying, right? So the most dangerous animal on the planet is the mosquito. Kills more people through death and disease, through disease and the spread of disease than any animal on the face of the planet. It's creation's groaning. Of course, humans haven't helped. <laughs> We've been destructive. We pollute. We haven't taken good care of the world around us either. But it's groaning for a day to be redeemed. What can we do? First, see for what it is. The sufferings of the present time are real. We don't ignore it. Some people have taken sort of a, uh, a um, psychological principle and tried to Christianize it and say, think positively. That's what we as Christians should do. Positive thinking is the answer. Ignore all that is bad about the world and just focus on the good and you'll live a happier and better life. It's not what the Bible does. The Bible takes a very real view of the world, sees it for all of its problems, and yet fills us with hope of what is to come. See it for what it is. Expect it. Every natural disaster and the tragedy that follows is a reminder to us that we are not home yet. But the day is coming. One day, it will be fixed. Don't despair. It's groaning now. But Jesus is coming. There will be a day with a new heavens and a new earth in which he will restore this world to its intended purpose. And I think, friends, we can certainly say take care. <laughs> take care of what we have now. Be good stewards of his creation. Preserve it. Protect it. Take care of it. But await the day in which Christ returns. It's not just creation. It's us. 23 to 25. We groan. We groan inwardly even as we hope for this day. We groan along with creation but with hope. Uh, we ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit. First fruits, of course, the beginning of a harvest. You try the, the very beginning of that harvest. That tells you what kind of harvest is coming. So I think we can certainly say the, the, the experience of having the Holy Spirit within us right now tells us what heaven will be like. Take your best day walking with the Lord, enjoying the very assurance that God gives and enjoying his presence with you. That is only a tiny foretaste, a little bit of drippings on your taste buds of what is to come in glory. Right now, we groan along with creation. We groan inwardly as we wait for adoption. Say, well, Pastor Rick, I thought you said we are adopted. Yes, but we're waiting for the full adoption, right? We are already adopted, but we're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. It gets even better than this. It's been said, friends, for someone who never believes in Jesus, this world is as close to heaven as they will ever experience. But for those who are in Christ, this world is as close to hell as we will ever have to endure. He says, hope Hope that is seen isn't hope. I mean, of course, hope assumes um, that it is not yet here. He says, in this hope we are saved. He's using hope very similar to the idea of faith. 
we trust in something, we put our hope in something, is the same as to have faith in something. In fact, faith is defined in Hebrews 11. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It just has a future focus. You can't hope in something you already have. (laughs) I can't hope to be married to Jessica because I already am. I can hope to be married to her for the next 20 years. That's future. That's a not yet reality. Our hope is in what is to come. And he says here, friends, to hope for it is to wait for it with patience. I love that. We use the word hope with so much sort of risk, probability. In fact, we might even use the word hope where the extreme probability is it won't happen. Somebody says, I hope to win the lottery, right? Chances are, like one to a hundred million or whatever it is, that you're not going to, but you're hoping that you do. Hope in the New Testament is never used that way. Hope is used with a confidence and assurance. In fact, he describes it here really as a waiting patiently for what's to come. Our bodies grown along with creation. We are mortal creatures just like all that surrounds us. For dust we are and to dust we shall return, which is absolutely true. We are made of the same organic material that everything else, all the animals and all that around us is made of. And when we die, we decompose and our bodies return to the ground. Our bodies are groaning for something better, something different, something to come. Friends, we will get sick. We will get injured. We will die if the Lord tarries. Christians are not exempt. I know that the prosperity gospel, turn on TV, listen to televangelists, they'll tell you, if you walk with Jesus, you'll be perfectly healthy, uh, you'll be rich, you'll be successful, and everything great will happen in your life. The New Testament says, if you follow Jesus, you're going to add to your suffering. (laughs) A little different. Uh, Now you'll endure not only the same thing that everybody else endures, but you can add to that persecution, okay, in opposition for your faith in Jesus. Very different gospel than we hear in the prosperity gospel. Sometimes I've heard folks talk about this COVID-19 virus and I have enough faith, I'm not going to get sick. That is nonsense. (laughs) That is nonsense. COVID-19 is part of a long line of pandemics in which Christians have endured and many, many have already di- have died from it and gone to be with the Lord. We will experience old age. Now, I'm still in denial about this, right? Um, I know it's coming, but I'm feeling the aches already, and man, is the gray hair coming in fast for me. I can't stop it, but I can keep trying to slow it, going to the gym, eating healthier, but it's coming, no doubt. Our bodies groan inwardly even as creation groans. What can we do? Have hope. In the midst of it. Some people reject the Christian faith because of suffering. I can't believe in a God who would allow fill in the blank. But here's what I would say. If you take God out of the picture, what does that leave you with? It leaves you with despair. That means there is absolutely no meaning to your suffering. It simply ends with the dust. Christian faith has said suffering is part of life. You can't avoid it. But the sufferings of this present world are not even worth comparing to the glory that is to come. Christian, be comforted by the presence of the Spirit of God. Be reminded of the hope of eternal life. This will 
end. Suffering is not permanent. And pray, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Let every sickness, disorder, disease, injury, remind us of a world to come. Let every death, every grief, every lost loved one, by the way, it's one of the blessings of being part of a church. If you're part of a church family, you experience a lot more funerals, which reminds us all of where we're headed in time with our groaning bodies and reminds us of the hope of eternal life that is to come. This world is sort of the basic training. <laughs> it's God's sanctifying time to prepare us for something that is infinitely greater. I like the way C.S. Lewis put it. He said, if you think of this world as a place intended simply for your happiness, right? As people kind of look at this world, I just want to get as, be as happy as I can in this world, maximize my happiness. He says, if you think of it that way, you will find it quite intolerable. <laughs> for one, you probably never will reach that place of perfect happiness. And if you do, it'll be very short-lived. That's the reality, right? Think of it as a place of training or cor- and correction, And it's not so bad. And this is his illustration. Imagine a set of people all living in the same building. Two sets of people. Half of them think it is a hotel. The other half think it is a prison. Those who think it a hotel might regard it as quite intolerable. And those who thought it was a prison might decide it was a really surprisingly comfortable place. Right. So if you look at this world saying this is all There is. All my hope is in trying to maximize myself in this world. You will surely be disappointed. But if you see this world as God's sanctifying presence, preparing you for something greater, you'll be surprised at the joys that God gives us along the way. Friends, we have to wait. Now, I don't like waiting. I'm not a very patient person. I don't know if you like waiting. But waiting isn't the worst thing in the world, right? I mean, we can wait. If God says, no, it's coming, all of this is coming, this inheritance is coming, the suffering, the pain, the hardship that you face in this world, it's going to end, you just have to wait. (laughs) That's not so bad, I think I can live with that. Despair is far worse, to feel like there is nothing better, there is no hope, and it never improves. That, to me, is unbearable. But waiting, I think I can do some waiting. We are adopted And we are heirs. The Holy Spirit reveals our adoption to us. Creation groans now, awaiting for the day for it to be fully redeemed. And we groan along with it, but with hope. All right, what's the inheritance? Didn't really talk much about that. What is it that we are really waiting for? How great is this thing that we are waiting? What are we heirs of? We say we're heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ of what? Let's take a look. We're looking forward to a day in which there is no more suffering. No more grief. No more spiritual attacks. No more guilt. And no more wounds. A day in which there is no more body aches or inflammation or toothaches or headaches or arthritis or fibromyalgia or sore throats. A day in which there is no more heart disease. By the way, so good to see Phil with us here today after going in the hospital with a heart issue. No more lung cancer, no more skin cancer, 
No more paralysis, no more prosthetics, no more car accidents. A day in which there are no more injuries, no more deafness or blindness or muteness or lameness or paralysis or prosthetics or car accidents. A day in which there's no more mental illness, no more bipolarity or depression or anxiety disorder or schizophrenia or phobias and fears. No more wars and invasions and genocide and bombing of hospitals and schools and starvation and oppressors. More than that, a day in which there's no more sin. Not even a temptation to sin. A day in which we will enjoy knowing and loving and living for God so much that sin will not even seem attractive to us at all. A day in which there is no more child abuse or bullying or bitterness or drunkenness or drug abuse. Instead of these, there will be memories. These will all be memories that make us grateful, worshipful, and only enhance the joy of eternal life. We will enjoy the gift of eternal Christian fellowship, a reunion of God's children, all your loved ones in Christ, all those throughout history whom you have never met in Christ, all of our past loved ones here at First Baptist Church. The joy of learning, of knowledge, of unattainable things in this world. Imagine what science and technology would be like in a restored world. What will be discovered Invented or built. The joy of a new creation of mountains and animals and rivers and skies. Places you have never visited or seen before to explore. Art that is beyond anything that we experience now. Music that our ears have never heard. Fellowship with angels. (laughs) That's something we know so little about. There is a myriad of angelic hosts. And none of which will even compare to the real inheritance. God himself. And his sons and daughters, that is a joy that no eye has seen and no ear has heard and no heart can yet understand. And our present sufferings will seem like nothing compared to what is to come. May the Spirit fill us with the hope as we wait. Pray with me. Gracious Father, we thank you for the adoption that we have in Christ. Lord, not only are we forgiven of our sins, and they are many, not only have you reconciled us, redeemed us from slavery, and reconciled us into a right relationship with you, you have made us your very children. And you look at us, as your own sons and daughters, and you love us forever. Thank you, Lord. Fill us with the Christian hope. Thank you for the reminder that from your word of our adoption, thank you for the ministry and witness of the Holy Spirit within us, that we are loved, we are cherished, we belong to you, and we will be with you forever. Be magnified, be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.